Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's Money-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome. It's Crystal Arnold here, founder of Money Morphosis. And remember, if you are listening to this here, you can also read a full write-up and my blog post on the website money-morphosis.com. So excited to talk today about the potential for social transformation. As we all know, these uh, can feel like turbulent times, and uh, it is truly powerful to build community resilience in our local areas where we live. And uh, having access to online trainings and um, just world-class resources to really up-level our game as community organizers who want to see more uh, social and economic justice where we live and be able to uh, create greater prosperity and really organize in the most effective, uh, efficient ways. And so I see that there is a big upwelling of a grassroots effort to really provide community leaders with with greater tools and skills uh, that they can then implement and uh, use in their own communities for greater prosperity and resilience. And this is uh, hugely inspiring to me. And so this is why I have invited uh, Sarah Van Gelder onto the show today to talk about us uh, to us more about her newest project called People's Hub, which we'll talk about more soon. So Sarah was um, is co-founder and of Yes Magazine, as well as an author of the new book, uh, The Revolution Where You Live, Stories from a 12,000-Mile Journey Through a New America, which came out last year. And she is also founder of The People's Hub. And as you may know, Yes Magazine is a publication that's nationally recognized for exploring leading-edge solutions to the major ecological and human challenges of our times. And, uh, and she's really received a lot of awards and recognition for her uh, work to uplift uh, local communities and bring greater justice. So without further ado, Sarah, I would love to hear from you about what what do you find most exciting about the work that you are doing with the People's Hub right now? Crystal, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. And, um, you know, the thing I'm finding so exciting about People's Hub is that I think in these turbulent times, as you described them, a lot of people are saying, you know, I've, I've realized I can't outsource my activism. I can't hope that somebody in Washington, D.C., has it handled because they, they so don't have it handled. So people are wanting to organize in their communities. And, you know, it's not rocket science, but we're not born knowing how to do it either. So I think uh, people's help is a way that, that we can support people in doing this incredibly important work. Yes, I totally agree. Looking at how we can most effectively use our attention and and energy to create the impact that we want um, and really up-level our games. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly People's Hub is and and what you're offering? Sure. We're a nonprofit. We started last year, and we offer trainings online to people in communities all over the country, and uh, some of them are, are things you can sign up for on your own, and some of them you sign up for as a group. So, for example, if you're a group that's been maybe like like one of our groups is in um, is in Northwest Washington, they're a, they're a um, human rights group. They've been working to try to counter white supremacy, 
and they they had some successes, but then after a while they were they were not sure what to do next. And so we're working with them on helping them find their vision and, and their strategies for moving forward. And also some of the basic skills it takes to work effectively together, like how to have meetings where you, you leave feeling energized and empowered and like you know what your next steps are and you feel more deeply connected to other people rather than feeling like, oh, my God, I just wasted so much time. Why can't we get anything done? <laughs> you know, that's a, there's a set of skills involved in having meetings that have that kind of outcome. Another example is how do you distribute leadership so that, so that you don't just rely on one or two people who do all the work and then get burned out? How do you make sure everyone has an opportunity to contribute? Everybody can offer their gifts. So there's lots of those very specific skills that we're teaching, and we're teaching them to groups who learn them together, and that way they can reinforce what they learn at the same time. They can, they can reinforce it among each other. They can bring it out into their work. And they can do all sorts of interesting interactive processes on the fly with their trainer. Uh, so, they're, so they're getting to know each other better at the same time that they're getting these skills. So that's one category so is this, uh, what we call our core trainings. The other is workshops. And in this case, we're inviting skilled trainers from around the country who already have a set of, a set of teachings that they've been doing or a set of skills they want to share. And we're inviting them to adapt what they know to an online platform to make it more widely available. So we have right now four different workshops listed on our website on peopleshub.org. And all of them are ones that people can sign up for individually. You don't have to have a group for those. Wow. I just really appreciate the um the culture change that is also being affected as you're empowering these individuals within these teams and groups and, and really, you know, setting them up for, for greater success and impact. And uh, I, I'd love to hear more about what brought you to creating this and, and uh, your journey across America and the book and, and what you kind of, found through that experience that led you to uh, create the People's Hub? Sure. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I took a 12,000-mile journey through the United States in a little camper truck that I, uh, that I uh, lived in during that time, um, visited uh, cities in the Rust Belt and Indian reservations and Appalachia and especially wanted to go to places that felt like they were being left out, that, that they weren't part of the, the power structure of Washington, D.C. Or the, or the east or west coast, but, but more the people who, it turned out, uh, were, were some of the bases for the, for the Republican Trump vote, um, although I didn't know that at the time. And I just wanted to find out what was going on with them and what, what were they choosing to do to make their, their communities better places. And I found so many stories that I was just so inspired by. They, they were not stories about left or right or Democrats or Republicans. They were stories about people who were taking a good hard look at, at how they were living and how they could make things better. The three areas I especially focused on were what people were doing about the economy to make it more equitable, to make sure everybody would have a place in the economy, what people were doing about racial injustice and racial divides, and how people were stepping up to <clears throat> to a challenge that, you know, we often talk about needing a national conversation on race, but so much of what really matters is what happens in our communities in terms of, uh, you know, our institutions or how police treat people of color or how, how people are hired or excluded. Um, so I wanted to see what communities were doing to improve the situation and, and create more justice for all people. And then the third was around the environment and most specifically around the climate crisis because it, it's becoming a very urgent question. Uh, if it wasn't before, it's becoming even more urgent all the time as we run out of time to, to reverse some of the, the trends that are uh, potentially really destructive of our not only our natural environment but our civilization uh, via climate change. And I, even though we talk about it as a global issue, it's actually individuals and communities where an awful lot of the emissions come from. And it's also individuals and communities that are stepping up and getting in the way of some of the most destructive new fossil fuel 
uh, infrastructure projects. So I wanted to see what communities were succeeding in taking on the climate crisis. So those are my main sets of questions, and what I found, I'd be happy to share some stories from the, from the trip, but what I came, what the conclusion I came to is that there's a lot more power in our communities than, we, than we've been led to believe. There's a lot of discussion about in our popular dialogues about, you know, this is what you can do all by yourself, or this is what can be done if we get the right member of Congress or the right president in. But there's not very much that really explores how much change can happen one community at a time. And I just found the changes there were, were really important, both as a political question, but also as a cultural question, as you mentioned. Also as a way of shifting the values and the ways of life and connecting us more deeply to each other and reminding us of what's really important and giving us the opportunity to build the sort of world that we want to live in. Oh, so fascinating. I uh, just really think that's what, what I hear it's building is uh, belonging. And like, I feel like people have a, a strong desire to make a meaningful contribution and often have good intentions. But as you said, may not be equipped with the skills or expertise to be a community organizer. And some, you know, urgent need may come up and, and they see some um, struggle in their community. And so they kind of piece it together and, and do the best they can with the good intentions. But really, I've, I've found that there's such a great satisfaction that comes to people when they can find belonging through community organizing. And I'm curious why you think um, this, this type of organizing and training will create greater resilience and feelings of belonging and well-being in communities. Well, certainly what I saw on the ground, I visited, I visited cities like Detroit that are, you know, very impoverished and people are really struggling. And yet when I saw people come together around a meal or even around a political demonstration, I also saw a lot of joy. And the same thing happened to me in, in Appalachia. I visited a harvest festival for a, a farm that was started by immigrants from Central America who invited other members of the Louisville, Kentucky community to join them in farming. And I saw again that kind of sense of joy and people's eyes just lit up by this experience of being together. And it just just made me think a lot about what kind of society we've become where so many people are feeling isolated. I I believe it's the, the former Surgeon General who was recently saying that loneliness in our society has actually become an epidemic. It's it's so unhealthy that, that overcoming loneliness can be as good for your health as quitting smoking. It's just an enormous, we were, we were hardwired, we were evolved to, to live in communities, to be among people and to have a variety of relationships. I mean, there's, there's sometimes difficult relationships, and yet there's something that's just very nourishing about real relationships with real people, and I'm, I'm saying real as opposed to via social media. Uh, I think the, the relationships we have on social media, unless they're just a, re- unless they're a reflection of the relationships we have in real life, but if they're only on social media, they don't nourish us in the same way that junk food doesn't nourish us. They, they, they're a poor substitute for the real thing, which is community. So I just found that people, people thrive in those kinds of relationships. And again, there's skills involved because relationships inevitably bring, a, bring out conflict as they go deeper. And conflict isn't bad if you're skillful at navigating conflict. If you if you have the ability to to hear each other and to and to figure out common ground and to move forward, conflict can also can actually can actually help us deepen our understanding of ourselves and of our world uh, when they're handled skillfully. So once again, skills are such an important piece of that capacity for us to really engage with one another and to really grow and evolve. As a, as a species. It's so true. And, and some of these skills that could be taught in our primary schools of communication skills, you know, basic financial management, emotional intelligence, how to d- deal with uh, 
bounce back from difficult situations. And so it's it's really good to acknowledge the importance and power of some of this self-mastery and ability to communicate clearly and, and uh, have compassion for others. And so you've mentioned a few of these barriers to to what you found um, barriers to effective change. There's this isolation. People feel cut off from their community. You know, there's often interpersonal conflicts that just exhaust everyone and drain resources. What other barriers to effective change do you see? Well, one is the, the message that we so often hear from the media that we're apathetic, that, that really all people care about is their own selfish interests, you know, how much stuff they have or how big their house is or how fancy their car is. But certainly people have, have some interest in, you know, in their material well-being, but people are so much more nuanced and, have, and so much more complex and have so many more features than just that. What I, what I really saw, you know, when I, when I look at people shopping in a store or something, I don't see the kind of joy that I saw in, in people's faces when they were coming together as a community or when they had the opportunity to offer their gift. And I think that's a really important key, too, is that, that we all have gifts. And when we have an opportunity to offer those to a larger group of people and when those gifts are appreciated, we just, we just feel so much more of a sense of belonging, of being part of something larger, and so much more sense of well-being. So I think that's one, one thing that's really important is, is to not let ourselves get distracted by things that really aren't important, like the, the latest new gadget or, or some other purchase, but to really spend the time on the things that do matter. Now, for a lot of folks, just getting through a day or a month is a big challenge because there's so much poverty in our country now, especially poverty among women and children. And so for a lot of folks, there's not, there's not any extra time to do this kind of work, and that's a real challenge and a real barrier. But even then, if, if we as organizers really think carefully about how to invite people in, how to make sure there's food at our <clears throat> food at our organizing events so that people can bring their kids and make sure that they get fed or how to make sure there's childcare, how to how to make it uh, so that so that those those organizing events are also joyous gatherings that can nourish people's souls, then it doesn't become just one more thing or one more obligation. It becomes a really rich part of, of everyday life. Wow, just inviting listeners to uh, imagine yourself in, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe not, of that kind of joyful community celebration where you've accomplished something together, where you've made progress and seen results in your community, and you've come together to care for one another, to nourish one another, and and to literally feed one another. And so just inviting people to maybe close your eyes and, and feel that satisfaction, that belonging. And if you've never had that experience to imagine what it would be like and feel that natural longing for humans to come together and care for one another, which I see as the essence of what the economy is, is a marketplace where we do come together and do share our needs and our offers and create that that spaciousness for um, connection to happen because, as you said, so many people are feeling isolated. Um, I've been, as as you know, working with the Post Growth Institute, and we've created this offers and needs market event, and we're writing the facilitators manual now. Um, people can read about that at www.offersandneeds.com. And it's a great example of how in 90 minutes uh, people come together to discover and share their passions, talents, skills, physical goods, and there is a certain, uh, it's like opening the space for synchronicity and seeing that people are naturally generous and wanting to care for one another and share what they know. And uh, we've just seen incredible results for people uh, finding, finding that sense of 
belonging and and really practical connections as well. And so I imagine that the same thing happens, uh, you know, in, in your kind of vision of community organizing and, and events is that people do have these opportunities to know each other and their offers and their needs and, and be able to connect, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and I would just add that, that sometimes those gatherings are not celebrations. Sometimes they're coming together around a tragic loss, like a, a death, a premature death of somebody or or you know even a, a, a political defeat or some something that's really difficult. But the the thing is that no matter whether it's a celebration or a loss, somehow experiencing that with other people, it's just a really important part of of resilience and of being able to move forward in a good way. If it's a celebration, it's of course more fun when you have your have friends around to share it with. And, and if it's a loss. You know, you you just really need other folks to to provide the solace and the and the uh, the company so you can you can move forward. And it's interesting because in almost every case and in almost every tradition, food is a part of those gatherings. Uh, I think we've we've gotten so used to fast food and in in our society so much abundance of food that I think we forget sometimes that that food can be just this this amazing. Uh, part of community life for linking us to each other and for also uh, reminding us of the the natural world that we come from that, that the food that, uh, that is on our plate is there because because nature is intact because somebody uh, planted a seed and somebody harvested it yes yes I'm so glad you brought up the the grieving together and the power of of sharing our grief about whether it's it's a personal or community tragedy or or grief about the systems that are failing us and the you know different natural disasters and challenges of of really letting go of what's broken and just uh, acknowledging that that deep pain and suffering that is um, present with so many as, you know, an economist, I've, I've seen the numbers of the poverty in this country and it is absolutely um, disgraceful and hidden in a variety of, of ways of how they measure the metrics of that. But to really tap into people's um, suffering and get, give a place for that to be expressed, I, I too believe that's a really important part of, of community organizing. Um, anything else to say about that? So I think another piece of that is is how we build power because part of part of what we need to do is change the circumstances that are creating so much hardship. Now there's a certain amount of life that's just always going to have difficulties of grief. You know, we're going to lose loved ones. It's just part of the human condition. But there's other there's other hardships which are really unnecessary and are really traumatizing large numbers of people. And again, I'm glad you you mentioned the, the poverty as, as part of that. Uh, I think also the violence, especially aimed at people of color and women, causes tremendous harm and tremendous long-lasting trauma. And I think it's our responsibility and our ability as a human species to say, you know, we we don't want that to be part of our lives. We at least want to minimize that and deal with it when it does come up, deal with it effectively, give people the freedom and the options to be able to to protect themselves and to to live in in a good and safe way. And, and we can do that as communities. We can take enormous steps in that direction when we come together as communities and support one another and build power to, to make fundamental changes that make that possible. Mm. Let, let me hear a little bit more about um, what power means to you and maybe the distinction of, you know, the power over hierarchical systems which are um, controlling, you know, people's behavior and and uh, versus more power with and, and the way that we can become more collaborative and create greater uh, synergy and uh, relationships within our community. So what, what does power mean to you? Well, there's a lot of things that, that people want and feel like they just can't have. And they they often just kind of say, 
well, somebody more powerful than me is making that decision and I can't have any effect. And in some cases, that's actually literally true in the fact that, that so many, uh, so much of what's happening politically in Washington, D.C. is now controlled by large money interests who can get their policies through where, where the rest of us uh, just don't have the access. So we do have some of those, those systems are built in and yet, when we come together and build power together, we do have the, the opportunity to make change. At a local level, it could be something like, um, you know, in my community, people talk about wanting to make sure that the, that the more recent immigrants feel welcome and that the children can go to school without being afraid that, that ICE is going to come and, and they're going to be taken off and separated from their families. And, you know, people want that for our community. And when they come together, they can say, okay, to their elected officials, okay, these are the things we want to do to, to do everything we can to make sure that, that our immigrant neighbors and friends feel safe here. We want, to, we want them to feel part of the community. We want them to feel that they can safely report a crime when it happens and not be worried that they're going to be taken off and deported. So th- there's things that we can do at, at a local level but we have to do more than wish for them, and we have to do more than learn about them. We actually have to come together and say, we're going to take, take action. And finding our power is one of those skills that I was talking about that they're interested in, in helping folks learn about, because that, that, that question comes up over and over. I don't feel like I have any power. Well, let's look at that. Where does power come from in a, in a society that still has democratic institutions as I said? How do you come together with other people? How do you influence your elected officials? Or if they won't be, allow themselves to be influenced, how do you get new elected officials who will? So th- those, are, those are things that are doable. And I think, um, I think we, we shouldn't and can't be content with just trying to, to somehow cope with the status quo. I think we as sovereign peoples have the right to a status quo that really serves our best interests. Yes, yes. And let, let's talk about financial power because so often um, money equals power and we've seen the consolidation of wealth over the past you know, couple decades get get more and more uh, money in the hands of fewer and fewer corporations and people who own them. And so I... Um, encourage listeners to take those steps of financial activism which are in your control, like banking locally, finding a local credit union, getting your loans through there, and understanding that where your money sleeps at night is actually very important, whether it's uh, you know in a bank account or whether you have uh, traditional investments, really looking at how to align your values with your financial decisions and bring power back into local communities. And so anything uh, you've seen that's, that's inspiring around creating greater uh, finan- local financial power? Well, those are good examples, and especially credit unions. And, you know, the credit unions have elections. People can run for election, for, for board of the credit unions and then, then work on policies that really benefit everyone in the community, making sure that no people are excluded because of their race or because of their gender, uh, making sure that as much as possible local entrepreneurs and local homeowners are supported rather than outside corporations who who are going to extract wealth from our communities instead of build our communities. So so that's one route. Another is I haven't experienced myself, but I've talked to people who've been involved in local lending circles where people get together in circles and they say, okay, I have this much money to lend out, and they hear from local people who, who have an enterprise they want to get started or, or some purpose for, for borrowing that money, and then they make, they make the link. So it becomes a human-to-human connection, not just an abstract one through some institution. It actually becomes uh, people supporting one another because that's the kind of community they want to have. It's more of a challenge because they, because we have such a taboo around money. You know, I lived in China for a while. In China, one of the first questions people ask you after, you know, where you come from and what about your family, one of the first questions they ask for is, how much money do you make? It's just not a taboo. It's just at the time I was there, it was considered just one of many questions. Uh, and in our country, it's, it's like people are, 
are so afraid to talk about money, they'd almost rather talk about their sex life than talk about money. So I think one of the things that's very powerful is whenever we, whenever we can break through those taboos and say, okay, what, what is it that's tied up in that, that that we're refusing to look at? And, and what if we untangle that? I think, I think we have a lot of shame in our country around things like that, you know. Get into debt, and it, there's so many ways that that's, that you can get into debt because you want to get an education or because you want to have a home or because you want to uh, get well when you've, when you've gotten terribly sick. There's so many ways to get into debt that are not shameful, and yet when people are burdened by debt, they feel like this, this sense of having failed. And once we can say, no, it's really not your fault, we should have a society where everyone can get their needs met without going into debt, without that kind of burden. I think uh, think it unleashes a lot of energy and a lot of creativity. Yes, yes, it does. It sure does. When people are willing to have those open, authentic conversations about money, I've seen it, the relief on people like, I'm not alone in this struggle. So many people have been traumatized by this extractive economy, which sometimes seems abusive. And this trauma to people, this scarcity of there's never enough and you have to consume to to be better. And there's just um, a really unhealthy drive um, that that's separating people. And, and when you mentioned the lending circles, that's a great example of how debt indebtedness to one another as individuals can actually create bonds. And it's like a natural part of being human is that you, you know, uh, create these relationships through doing things for one another. And I don't need to pay my, you know, neighbor when the kids go over there. And there's like this back and forth flow with certain neighbors that really feeds me and is is beyond money. So I think as we can uh, really unhook ourselves from these predatory, like people who are trapped in these payday loans at outrageous interest and, you know, other um, kind of just uh, traps of cycles of debt that, um, that, like you said, a lot of power will be unleashed, right? That's, that's right, yep. Yeah, it's it's exciting when you put it that way, the the potential for money to to be a unifying factor once we um you know move through the shame and guilt and and all these feelings which keep us feeling separated that it is um you know this unifying factor and and this way that we care for one another. Um so let's take a quick break here and we'll be back in about a minute and uh talk more about who's involved in people's hub and 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 the kinds of things that you're offering. So we'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Hello, we are back with Sarah Van Gelder, founder of Yes Magazine and more recently founder of The People's Hub. And she's been sharing with us some of the opportunities and challenges that communities face towards effective uh, community organizing, ability to tap into the resources which are in their community and to she is through these trainings and workshops offering skills and tools for people to communicate and organize more effectively. And 
I would love to hear a little bit more about um, the nonprofit organization of People's Hub and uh, some of the people who are involved in your team. Sure. Um, so we're based in Seattle, Detroit, Appalachia, and many other places. We have a team that's spread around. We're made up of people who are uh, people who've been doing training for many years, including our, our training director, Alandria Williams, who was at the Highlander Center in Tennessee before she came to us. Highlander Center was where Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks went for political retreats. Uh, where We Shall Overcome was written. So we have people who, on a national level, have been doing some of this extraordinary training for years, and, and other people who've been community activists, who've been working in their own community or in, in organizations nationwide that are working on building community. So that's who our team is. Um, we don't have a brick-and-mortar office. We all work out of our homes or out of coffee shops. Uh, and we're, one, of, one of our goals is to keep our overhead costs down because what we want to do is make it as easy as possible for people to find the trainers and the skills that they need to move into the, the next phase of their own work in bringing their community together and making, uh, making for a stronger community. So let me just give you a couple of examples of some of the workshops we have going on right now. Uh, this week we're doing one uh, called Five Minutes Towards Freedom. So this is based on the idea that, that when we're stressed out, either by ourselves or in a community or in a group, uh, there, are, there are these rather simple exercises we can use to just get centered and just to, um, to re-find our own purpose and our own sense of grounding. In just a few minutes doing some of these exercises and people will can, can let go of some of the things that may be causing conflict or anxiety and return to what's really important to them. So we're actually doing our very first workshop on that topic uh, on Thursday, um, May 10th. And uh, the doing that workshop is named Marsha Lee, and she's a, a lovely person, lives in Detroit, wonderfully visionary ideas about about what it means to uh, to connect deeply at a community level. Um, another one is uh, called Intro to Kingian Nonviolence. That's Martin Luther King. And it's about what it takes to actually build a beloved community. So it brings, brings out some of the key principles of working in a nonviolent way, which is, which is so much more than just not being violent. It has so much more about how we actually take on injustice and build the world that we want and do it in a way that, that is compassionate towards others and respectful and uh, acknowledges the, the humanity of all the people involved, even when we don't agree with them. So that's another workshop that's coming up, and that's called Building Power to Win. This one is being conducted by a, a really extraordinary woman by the name of Linda Stout, who grew up in poor in North Carolina, uh, in a in a white family, white neighborhood, but, but quickly realized that poor white folks and poor black folks had an awful lot in common, and that all the 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 racism that was was and is so prevalent uh, in some of our communities is really getting in the way of us having the kind of world that we want and the kind of communities that we want. So most of her life, she has spent doing organizing across races, bringing black folks and white folks together, and building trust and building the capacity to get things done. She tells these wonderful stories with this lovely Southern accent uh, about the, the experiences that she's had doing this kind of work, including how she's, how she's gotten people who traditionally haven't felt comfortable voting, how she's encouraged them to come together and to go to the polls and make their voices known. So this is going to be about that question and about how, how you not only go to the polls, but you end up with, with groups of people who, who have found their power, their voice to make a difference in the world and who keep on working together and getting other things done together. And then we have another session called Black and Brown Community Healing Through Land. And this is particularly aimed at black and brown folks who have so often been separated from their relationship to the land, whether it's by home foreclosure or farm foreclosures or the, uh, the, the widespread practice in the South of, of um, attacks against 
African Americans who became too successful or refused to knuckle under the white power structure, in some cases folks getting, uh, African American folks getting lynched for daring to step out of that power structure. Uh, in so many ways, people have lost access to land. And so this is, this, this is a workshop about reclaiming that connection to land and healing through that connection to land. So those are some of the workshops we have going on right now. Each one of those are available online on our website, peopleshub.org. Each one of them is available at a, on a sliding scale, so you don't have to, if you have, have money to contribute to the cost of it, we appreciate that. If you don't, we don't want you to be turned away. Um, and each one of them you can connect to individually. All you need is a phone or a computer, and you can be part of it. You don't have to travel. And, uh, and because we can do it online, we're able to, to do it very cost-effectively, and that's, that's part of our plan for making it as accessible as possible. Oh, I love that. I just love the variety of, of what you're offering and the depth of how it integrates, you know, both, both the practical, emotional and and uh, deeper, you know, um, a- aspects of community organizing. Uh, I'm curious what kind of people have been getting involved. It obviously spans all demographics, I imagine. But uh, do you want to tell me a little bit more about who you see in this country, in this movement, and in People's Hub in particular, uh, drawn to really stepping up and, and leading into their communities? Sure. I mean, it's, it's actually so often women that do work at a community scale, um, and the leadership among women is just extraordinary and I think underappreciated. Um, but but the, it, I, you know, it just frankly doesn't have the money or the glory that some of the national organizing work does, and perhaps that's the reason that the, that the men are less less uh, inclined to participate. Um, so, and we've had people reach out to us from from all across the country. Uh, the people who are doing some sort of work where they live. Some of them were inspired. By by the election, uh, they they decided that they they needed to get involved and they wanted to get involved and started doing some work and then realized there was a lot they didn't know about how to move forward and so some of those folks have been reaching out to us and taking some of these workshops. Um, some of them are groups that are relatively new. There's a a community radio station that we're talking to. Uh, that that is just recently formed after buying out an old legacy uh, radio station, and the hosts on this radio station represent the diversity of the community. So they have uh, this, this is a community that's at least uh, half or more African American. So a lot of the hosts represent that community, and the legacy radio station was mainly white folks. So you have a two different cultures that are starting to come together and figure out how to work together effectively. So they've reached out to us to, to ask us to help lead them through a process of, of, uh, of figuring out what their vision is for their community and for the community radio station, and then getting really good at making their vision become a reality. So we're very excited to be working with, with groups of all sorts. Uh, and especially, I really do love the idea of working with groups because you can see the power in in them when they when they look around the room and they say, hey, you know what? We could actually change things. We could actually get things done because we could support one another in getting these things done. We could really hear each other, understand what what needs there are in this community, and we could support one another and get some stuff done. And that's just so empowering. It's so much more empowering than than being all by yourself and and thinking, oh, I'm so I'm happy with the way things are going right now, but I don't even know where to start. I just feel like that, that even if it's a small group, even if it's only four or five people, that's enough to to, to have an impact in neighborhoods, communities, towns, cities, uh, all over our country. Mm, yes. And and so powerful to I'm not surprised that many organizers are women and and these kind of feminine 
leadership skills that that really are um, essential in our communities of of listening to all parties to having a compassion and holistic sense of of the challenges and opportunities that are unique of really valuing the relationships and and the emotional connections and culture within the community and and how that is naturally developed by women in most cultures through the food and the raising the children and caring for one another. And so I think it's it's very appropriate that this upswelling is is also this empowerment of of women to be able to learn from one another and and recognize the leadership capacities and really I imagine there's also a kind of intergenerational exchange. Do you see that happening between the the youth and the elders coming together? Yeah, I do. I think it's. Uh, I think there's also skills attached to doing that. There's, there's uh, you know, on the elder side, it's, I think it's easy to, for for some of us over forty to say, "Oh, we tried that and it didn't work," or well, "You can never get it," you know. So we have to we have to be quiet sometimes and and allow young folks to find their own path, even though it might be different than ours. And things that might not have worked in the past might might actually work now. And I think for young people, there's a challenge of feeling like, oh, these folks, these boomers, they kind of let us down. They let us, left us with this big mess, and now we have to, to take care of it and to, to recognize that, that, that many folks older than them actually worked really hard and actually got something done that has, that has been really important, and, and there's a lot to build on. So I think I think that is a skill set. And we don't currently have a workshop up specifically on that, but I think we'll find that theme woven into a number of our of our offerings. Mm. I've also found uh, how powerful it is asset-based community development, this kind of approach that really focuses on what's working first and kind of surveys say, maps the community's resources and is able to help people feel resourced instead of fundamentally flawed and impoverished in, in kind of the mainstream messaging that tells people they're not enough. And curious if you've seen any of the impacts or have success stories about uh, asset-based development approaches. Uh, asset-based community organizing is so much what Yes Magazine was about uh, and is about, which is the notion that, that if you don't like what's going on in your in your society or in your community, um, you know pe- people are choosing to make changes. So, so as Yes Magazine, we were looking at that question of how how are people voting with their hands or their feet or, or making different choices or their money or their votes? How are they making different choices for what kind of community they want, what kind of world they want? And there's so there's so much creativity. I mean. There's, you know, maker spaces where people who, who may be able to, to do a craft or to, to know how to program computers can come together and, and create something original and something uh, beautiful for the community. There's, um, there's working with young people, in, in, for example, in the Oakland School District, where, where instead of saying all the time, okay, we're going to punish anybody who, stand, who, who steps out of line a little bit, Instead of saying, you know, let's understand each other better. Let's understand the stories that each person brings and what their challenges are, but also what their gifts are. And when we really listen to one another, we can find out what a strong community we have instead of, instead of dwelling all the time on the weaknesses or on the environment. I, I spent some time on my road trip uh, in Montana with ranchers who have spent generations living on the land and working the land and uh, one person in particular who I interviewed was just on fire to learn that, that his ranch line could be a great contributor to the climate solution by sequestering carbon in the soil. You know, by using by proper ranching methodology, you actually build the carbon and the, the, the vitality of the soil by taking carbon out of the atmosphere. So he was on fire to learn more about how to do that. So there's so much going on that's so positive. Unfortunately, most of the media focuses on the negative because that's what gets people's attention and that's what self-advertising. But if you look a little bit more deeply, you'll find all over the country people are just 
doing extraordinary work to, to build on the strengths that they already have in their community. Again, what you raised earlier about the problem of corporate power is one of the biggest challenges to that because corporations are really interested in extracting wealth from our communities and supporting the well-being of our communities. So all over the place, you also see those same groups and trying to keep those those local assets local and trying to keep them from being extracted and and for their own communities to be diminished. And that's that's a major challenge because of how powerful corporations have become. It's becoming just very difficult to do that. And it's one of the reasons we come back to that question of power, the power that local communities need in order to make sure that those wonderful assets that they have can be sustained for the long term. Yes, yes. And it creates like this intimacy where people are feeling more pride and a sense of well-being about their, you know, uh, their stewardship of their water and their, you know, local resources and, and community infrastructure. And I feel like there has been this kind of dare I say, like a poverty of the soul that's been, you know, uh, created here with this kind of isolated mainstream messaging and corporate power that's really um, got people distracted from what's most valuable and satisfying in their life. And that it's not about accumulating more money in your bank account to have more and to protect that from others, but like a real sense of, um, security is coming not from from your money alone, but also from your relationships and your connection with where to get non-GMO seeds and and have fresh water access. And so, I feel like there's there's a lot of uh, you know when we create greater transparency and people have the information to make informed decisions and be able to purchase and invest in things that that do create greater wealth in their community. Uh, there's just so much uh, satisfaction and joy. Uh, we understand our local ecosystem so much better um, than outsiders could. And we have that kind of commitment because we want our kids to be able to swim in the water and we're drinking that water and, and our own health and well-being is, is tied up in the quality of the water and the quality of the air. And so I, I, I agree with you. I think those we don't think enough about how much our well-being is really tied up in that as opposed to things like, as you said, what's in the bank account. Now, once again, if, you're, if you don't have enough in the bank to feed your family, you're going to be suffering. You're going to be traumatized by that. So it's not that, that having those resources isn't relevant. But what, what the science does show is that once you have enough and you have some sense of security, having more wealth doesn't actually make you any happier. There's other things that make you happier. We actually did a book at Yes Magazine called Sustainable Happiness. That, that really looks at the research on that. And uh, what makes you happiness has a lot more to do with being able to offer your gifts to your community and being appreciated for those gifts, has a lot more to do with feeling gratitude in your everyday life, has a lot more to do with the, the quality of the connections you have with other people. Those are the things that really bring happiness. And unfortunately, if we spend too much of our time in the money world, we actually lose track of the things that are, that are authentically going to make us happy. Yes, yes. Well, wow. I'm I just wanted to open it up for you if there's anything else that you want to share with listeners or tell us about. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I'd love I'd love to invite your listeners to come and check out peoplehub.org. Uh as I mentioned, we're, we're we have workshops available for both individuals and for groups who want to learn how to work together and to be more effective and, and have more fun. Um, and I also, I just would love to hear any feedback. You know, I think we're, we're still learning. We're a startup. We're just, just beginning to explore this, this territory of how we support folks via the Internet so that we can make it really inexpensive 
but in a way that doesn't feel power, powerless and passive. You know, our, our, our trainers are all live. Each, we don't ever sh- just show videos. We're always uh, on, on the Internet live with you in an interactive environment so that you can be asking your questions and you can be sharing your stories as well. So I'd love people to get people's feedback about how we do this well and what kinds of training you would like to see. And in fact, maybe some of your listeners would also be interested in offering training. All of that's available for folks to weigh in on on our website, uh, peopleshub.org. Oh, I love that. And and there is such power to really seeing uh, that there is a broader network and community that can share best practices and uh, that we, we feel that kind of solidarity and uh, and build those relationships in the um, national network here of, of people who really care so much about their communities and, and the health and well-being of their families and their earth. And I just feel like there is uh, so much potential as these uh, people get even greater skills and, and mastery of these approaches for facilitation and community organizing and just so impressed by the quality of what you're offering, the people who you uh, have involved with it, and just really see how how quickly and effectively this could empower individuals and communities. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, it's, it's been a real treat to, to be in this creative process with these folks and to, to figure out, you know, what it is that will really support the kind of transformation that we think is possible. And I, I really believe that that transformation will be bottom-up. It will be from communities. It will be from communities learning from one another getting really good at doing what we want to do, and the the pleasure and joy that's unleashed when people work together in those kinds of really meaningful ways, I think is going to be the, the energy that will fuel this local revolution. Mm, yes. There is, uh, my favorite word these days is synergy, this feeling that that the sum is greater than each of the parts alone, and this feeling of being able to tap into this uh, resource as we come together in in, uh, really skillful ways and, and build relationships and networks that can sustain us because, uh, frankly, we are going to see um, challenges and climate change, natural disaster, and, and so this um, building resilience is essential even more than sustainability because what we need is to be able to not only sustain but really respond and adapt and be creative and and really tap into uh, the human potential of small groups with focused intention and love how you're working with people on their vision and and the clarity of of what they're doing and really drawing in in that power of, of being able to uh, focus and coordinate and organize together. So any uh, closing comments here in the last few minutes about your vision for a more just and equitable uh, economy and society? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would just say that, that, it's, that it's in our hands that uh, generations from now people will be looking back at our generation as sort of the pivotal one and none of us can do this work alone but we can do extraordinary things together and we don't have to be trapped by what people tell us is the inevitable way things are going to have to work we inevitably have to have corporate capitalism and large corporations spanning the globe telling us how things are that we have the right in our communities to create the kind of world we want. And I think a lot depends on whether we step up and assert that right and make stuff happen. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be part of that process and, and just love hearing the stories of how, how people are doing that and, and, uh, and look forward to supporting more communities doing the same thing. So mm. Thank you so much for having me on, on your show. I, I really enjoyed it. 
Oh, yes. Uh, Thank you. Such an enjoyable conversation. So evocative and feels uh, so true about uh, just the good news of the people are organizing and and getting the skills and training they need to to be more effective. And just really appreciate all the work that you've done, Sarah, over the years as, as really a pioneer of bringing forth the good news and the the potent, the human potential, really. And so just really encourage people to check out peopleshub.org and get involved either with the training and they're um, so incredibly valuable and uh, and very affordable with the sliding scale and, and get inspired and meet other activists in other communities and just really think it's fantastic fantastic a fantastic time to be alive and to claim this power and see what we can create together thanks again sarah thanks for listening if you like what you heard the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at itunes be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.